You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex is happening in the marriage bed. Here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Allen and Shannon Etheridge. Well, welcome to uh, Sexy Marriage Radio, Shannon. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. <laughs> Seems I'm lo- surprised that you're not out in the pool right now, August in Texas. Well, it's it's warm, absolutely, but um, you know, as we're recording this, I've got clients the rest of the day, so it's kind of hard to show Some up of in us a swimsuit have to work for a living. Yeah, it's hard to show up in a swimsuit <laughs> and look professional, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, this is Sexy Marriage Radio. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us because every time our listeners uh, invite us into their homes and into their marriages and into their marriage bed and their brains, that's it's an honor. It's humbling to think that that we speak to the, the struggles and the pain and the frustrations and even the joys and the celebrations that happen when it comes to married sex. And I have to say thank you to our listeners because of them, um, the trends keep going up and the word keeps spreading. And I love the fact that more and more people are joining our little community. And so if you're new to the community, yeah. welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And things continue to explode. It's like biscuit dough coming out of a can. We're unstoppable. <laughs> and anyway, so uh, hey, hey, before we go on, though, hey, I have to seriously say that was a lot of fun last night with the Sexy Marriage Radio Academy members. I really wish that many other people would catch the vision yeah. of just how awesome those off air conversations are and how much we all learn and grow. Like there were several almost kumbaya moments where I felt like there was so much synergy in the group. Yes. Especially when you were doing like your aerial observations <laughs> of, of the different directions that the conversation had gone during that time. So consider joining us on the Academy. Absolutely. You can join for 30 days for free and, and check it out and see if it's something that would be a benefit to you. Cause I think it would be. Oh, Absolutely. So this is interesting because today we're being joined by a listener. And what's interesting, most interesting about it is it's a topic that's been brought up uh, in the past a couple of times that I can remember if I went back through the archives at feedback at sexymergeradio.com. Um, I can remember it several times. But then what's uh, coming through feedback? What's, yeah. in, what's interesting is we know we also have this call in um, form that you can put that we want to, where people can have the opportunity if they listen to give us more details to help express uh, ex- what explore a little bit deeper because we'd have more data or if they're even interested, they can join us on the air and we'll talk about the subject with them. But mm-hmm. this one came in from Sarah and, and this was a couple of weeks back from while we were recording this. Uh, but then just yesterday, uh, one came in from another listener, almost word for word. Identical. That So it's, it's an interesting, it tells me, that this is something that needs to be addressed and it needs to be talked about. And that is this, the struggle that infertility can uh, present it to marriage and to sex and to the intimacy level and the frustration and the growth and everything that comes with it because it is it can be an incredibly difficult season. Absolutely. It's something that we faced ourselves many, many moons ago. Unfortunately, we were able to have two children, but my my first experience with pregnancy did not end well and, and ended in a miscarriage. And there was about a six-month window of time. We were told, wait two months before you even try. 
And we did. And we just thought for sure it was going to happen immediately. And it didn't. It took four months of all kinds of hormone treatments and all that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of anxiety that came with it of, are we able, are, are mm -hmm. we ever going to be able to do this? And are we going to be able to carry the baby successfully, even if we do get pregnant? So it, it did change the dynamic from play to work. Yep. It, it, it's the best way that I know how, that I know how to describe it. It's all of a sudden there's a mission and there's a goal and it's, <laughs> <laughs> it really can zap a lot of the fun out of it. But Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for your willingness to come on the show to unpack how this impacts a couple's relationship. And, uh, we just really applaud your bravery and your courage today. Uh, well, thank you for having me on to talk about it. It is, it's, it's difficult and it's not, um, something that's easy to really process or talk about, but it's also something that I've, I've gotten to a point where I feel like I, I don't know how to handle that feeling anymore. And I can't come up with anything that seems like a healthy coping mechanism for it. So. Okay. Well, we are happy to do that. The only thing that, that you can do is you. talk, even if it's uncomfortable. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about, um, how long y'all have been married and at what point did you think that starting a family might be a good idea? Um, we've been married for a little uh, less than three years and we kind of got married with the intention of, um, you know, having a family as soon as possible. We both really love kids and we wanted to have kids young and we always kind of joked, but like half jokingly that, well, one of the best things about if we just go ahead and start early is if there are any problems, we'll have a lot of time to um, handle that. Mm -hmm. And how old are you and your husband? Um, we're both 25. Okay. Um, so we, we started not, not trying was what they we called it for <laughs> the first two years of our marriage not, where, yeah, nothing preventative. Know, just, yeah. Nothing preventative. Um, and just having lots of really good newlywed sex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but after, um, about two years of that, not working, um, for particularly for really young, healthy couples, two years is pretty much the longest they'll tell you to go without um, going to see a doctor. Um, we took about six more months to actively try. So charting and mm -hmm. all of the, the body temperatures and the, I very quickly discovered that I really hate having to keep track of my body. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> but we, we actually, just around the time that I sent you guys the, um, the email, we started seeing a fertility specialist, um, which has done a lot to um, alleviate some of that anxiety, even if we don't have a solution at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but there's still just a lot of feelings around it and um, just difficulty because you, you marry someone because you love them mm -hmm. and because you want to spend your life with them and, I've always been a big believer that you can love someone and spend your life with someone without getting married and that getting married is, is more than that. It's, it's a commitment to say, I'm going to be with you. We're going to work things out and we're going to have a family together. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really from the beginning that you guys were hoping to start yeah. a family. Okay. And so at what point did kind of a red flag go off in your head that said, this isn't working. Something isn't right that this hasn't happened yet. Um, well, I got somewhat concerned around a year, but um, 
I figured, you know, that maybe sometimes it takes some time for like birth control to get out of your system because you've been on it for a really long time. Because mm-hmm. um, I think I was on it since I was like really young because I had like um, really sporadic periods and it's a common thing. They just put girls on birth control when you're, you know, 13 or 14 now. Right. Um, not because they expect you to have sex, but just because like it became this, this, uh, assumption in medicine that well it's good for you it regulates the <laughs> it'll, period it'll balance everything out for you <laughs> yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh it'll be better for your acne <laughs> yeah but um all, all kinds of supposed health benefits yes which it's interesting because because now getting into you know fertility and really having to get to know my body better um much more aware of like there's a lot of of things that i feel like i should have known about birth control that nobody ever told me and like, why is there not any teaching and emphasis on like how to uh, understand your body's cycles as a woman? Like that, I think that would have been huge help to know as a teenager. Right. It um, takes us back to that, um, that conversation that we've had many times the past few weeks about how much educate, what kind of things should we be educating our sons and daughters about? And so you're, you're dead on the, all kinds of things like <laughs> how the body works and basal body temperatures and all that sort of thing it's important to know yeah so but, you, sound, um, you sound like yeah, you so I figured became it may, very knowledgeable it may just, yeah so um i i tend to I, I like to joke one of my um coping strategies for when i get stressed and anxious is i just binge research because <laughs> facts are comforting to me even if they don't agree with me i'm like i can understand this and therefore i can deal with it um but the more you get, I mean, so I gradually learned more and more um, as it went on, but it, in this case, it wasn't necessarily comforting because it just made it more clear that you should probably go to a doctor and check that out. And I don't really like doctors. <laughs> I work for them, but I don't really like doctors. <laughs> um, because doctors can tell you very bad and very scary things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, my husband actually um, doesn't have any insurance. So it was, I can go to have it checked out, but we weren't really sure if he would be able to um, have anything checked out if, if he was part of the problem. Okay. So um, we've since then learned that when you actually go into getting treated for fertility, pretty much none of that is covered by insurance anyways. Right. Right. So you had the financial burden on top of the emotional burden of an unfulfilled yeah. dream and wish. So at what point did things shift in your passion levels as far as the idea of being intimate with one another? When did it all of it, when did it go from newlywed sex to a trying to have a family sex? <laughs> yeah. I think it, I think it became more difficult when the family that I'm working for, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little, getting a little emotional. Give me a second. It's okay. I fully expected this, from myself and from you on this episode. So there's nothing but grace, girlfriend, nothing but grace. It's hard. Um, it became a little bit more difficult when the family that I'm working for. So um, when I first started working for them, I'm a nanny. So I first started with them when their first child was only about three months old. Um, I'm the only form of child care that she's ever had. And they just um, recently had a second child. So uh, their second child is now almost three months old. And I'll be taking over with both of them in the next week or so. But when my um, mom boss 
that's the term we use, <laughs> um, when she first got pregnant, she initially was really concerned because she knew that like we had in passing mentioned that like, oh, well, you know, like Chris and I are, are not, not trying. So I don't know when we get pregnant, but we had talked about that before because we talked about like maternity leave when negotiating our um, work agreement. And she became really, really concerned about it um, when she found out that she was pregnant because she was just absolutely petrified of the idea that I might have to care for two infants at once, which is kind of funny because we actually had a fair um, arrangement with her daughter. So I was already taking care of two infants at once for like the prior year. But the way she explained it was when you tell me that you can, that you could take care of three kids at once, it, I believe you, but it's kind of like you're telling me that a circle is a square. Mm-hmm. I believe you, but I'm not sure how that's possible. Mm-hmm. So, so her anxiety kind of um, made me more aware of, hey, you know, you have been trying for a while and it's not working. Okay. And so it just highlighted that her, increased- her, growing, her growing family highlighted the fact that yours wasn't growing yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and then her anxiety over over the idea of, oh, well, what if you will get pregnant? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so she would bring that up a bit more often, and that would just continue to highlight the, for me the fact that, sure. well, right now that's not really something that's happening, is it? Mm-hmm. Right, and I can remember um, baby showers were always so hard when you got invitations to baby showers and you're like, oh, somebody else is having a baby. Everybody's having a baby except me. It seems like, have you had those experiences as well with your peer group? Yeah. yeah. I have. Um, and uh, on mother's day, I went to um, my father's a, a preacher. Um, he, he runs a, a local bikers um church actually out of a out of a biker bar in our area and i went for mother's day to um his church service to sit um with him and my mom and as soon as he started preaching i had to leave and i because i didn't realize that i was going to react that badly Mm -hmm. the desire to be a mother makes a mother's day sermon hard to sit through huh it does so society doesn't necessarily help in, in a lot of regards uh, when w- in, in no, understanding. mostly they just say oh you just need to stop trying yeah okay so how <laughs> when you were like that's what i started with <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been doing that yeah. all along so how has um your oh, husband I actually recently had a doctor say that to me oh okay oh it so annoyed me <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's the, that's right up there with that we'll stop worrying about it stop having anxiety about it and and you'll get pregnant yeah yeah don't think about a pink elephant yeah, i remember reading yeah. um I remember reading a study. It was saying uh, they have ranked different um, stress that different medical conditions cause, and fertility actually ranked um, neck and neck with terminal cancer for the amount of stress that it causes uh, yeah. a person. Wow. So wow. the question I have then is how have you and your husband be, uh, been allies in this uh, along the journey rather than combated with each other? Is that, do you see, can you distinguish the difference? Well, we, uh, this has luckily been one issue that we really haven't been um, combative over much because it is, it, I mean, it's one of those things you can't make a baby by yourself. Right. You can't really blame half of the partner for a problem that, you know, you're, you're working in together. Okay. Um, so how are you guys allies with this I, then? 
How do you how do you use each other to help unburden some of the times when maybe you're carrying more and and he's not and could be a, and could be an ally for you? A lot of it has been um, getting comfortable with just admitting when it's too much okay. and being very clear about what kind of help I need. Okay. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, I really need you to be emotionally supportive and in a very simple way that means like I need you to be physically supportive and hold me sometimes because I I just feel like I'm going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. 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 So that takes tremendous strength then to admit that, doesn't it, Sarah? It does. So well done. Particularly because I'm I'm used to in our relationship I have <laughs> I have a lot more um feelings all the time and so I'm I'm just more practicing kind of like handling them and coping with them and um so I'm used to being the person who is supporting my husband when he's going through, you know, a really strong feeling. But so it's it's very difficult for me to be like, actually, this one, I don't even know how to handle. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the passage in scripture that says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Like there is no sickness like that longing for your own child and for it to go unfulfilled month after month. I, I remember the... Um, yeah, every time it was time for a period to come and it didn't, I was just so elated. But then when it did, I was so deflated and there was no higher, yeah. no bigger dip on the roller coaster than that particular day of thinking that you are and then learning that you're not. How, how have you found comfort in other things? I mean, are you able to distract yourself from the obsession sometimes? Because it can become an obsession in a woman's mind. There's just no way around it. When we get our sights set on that baby or that pregnancy, yeah. it's just, yeah. So how have you found uh, comfort and distraction? That's where I've, I've found the most difficulty actually is, is finding something that's, you know, something distracting, something that's comforting, because this is where I say I, I can't, really can't cope with anything other than unhealthy coping techniques. Hmm. Um, I and know, do you mind just asking, um, what are some of those unhealthy coping techniques that you've been using? Well, I'm in, I'm in a couple of um, groups on like Facebook that are, um, you know, fertility and trying to conceive support. And okay, we're all in agreement healthy. that we all tend to drink. We all are in agreement that we all tend to drink more during the week of our period because, well, you should abstain from alcohol if you're trying to get pregnant, but we know we're not pregnant this week. <laughs> mm, yeah. So you want to drown your sorrows a little while, huh? It's really difficult because it's a, it's a process of grief, mm-hmm. but it's every single month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you find it a challenge to be intimate at times of the month when you're not fertile? thinking, you know, why bother? Let's just save that up until I'm more fertile and you lose sight of how much comfort you actually could be bringing one another through unproductive sex. Is that a word? Unproductive? (laughs) It's not reproductive. (laughs) (laughs) We do, we do try to, um, to do, keep doing that like that's something we learned early on is that you know if if nothing else then sometimes it's just good to cuddle naked because you know oxytocin is a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. there you go Uh, i actually have a tattoo of oxytocin on my shoulder a tattoo of oxytocin as in an image or a word Uh, the molecule the molecular structure (laughs) 
Wow. I got to see that. I want, I want you to, to send us a picture I'll, of that. I'll have to send you a picture. Well done. I'm a big fan of oxytocin as well, but I never thought about getting it tattooed anywhere on my body. Oh, it's, it's a good tattoo. That's cool. Aww. But um, it's, I guess the only, the only way to describe it is it's a, a, a new experience of having, um, whether it's, you know, productive or unproductive, but having that sex be, be kind of like lacking or disappointing because it's something that you're doing because you should do it or you have to do it, or, you know, it's supposed to make things better, but there's just this kind of like emptiness there mm, Yeah, that you're not able to really like physically, like it's, it's, I was talking to my mom earlier. It's like physically, I can feel like that feels nice, but I also know that it would feel like 20 times better if I was actually into this. Right. right. And when you're so distracted by the goal, the end all goal, it's hard to focus on the pleasure of just that particular play. Um, yeah. You've done a masterful job at unpacking a little bit of the emotional turmoil in a woman's heart and mind. Talk to us about what infertility does to the male psyche. What have you noticed in your husband and how has that impacted <laughs> You know, you guys together as the a possibility that it that it might be um, a problem on his end. It it takes a very big toll, mm-hmm. and it's also brought issues into into his consideration that he had not considered before, and into our marriage that I, I guess I had assumed that we were on the same page about. Um, so, just from his perspective, the the idea that you know we all tend to catastrophize. So, you know, if there's something wrong, then it has to be the worst thing possible. So if it's something that's wrong with him, then it must be that he just has absolutely no sperm and there's no way for him to naturally conceive. And just that kind of worst case scenario has has brought in so many things for him to try and, and think through and deal with, um, particularly in the form of, of adoption, which is something that i I was actually under the impression that we were um, on the same page about I always wanted to adopt even if we were able to have um, biological kids. Um, but it, once it became something that might be more of a reality, he suddenly realized that he's not sure if he would be able to love that a child that wasn't his biologically. Mm-hmm. And that that was just that's been a very difficult thing for us to um to talk about and to get through in our marriage. And luckily he, um, he does see a therapist who he's you know been working on uh, this with and talking through, but that, that was just such a, a shock to uh, us as a couple, because we were on such different pages um, of how we saw that as an issue. Cause I work as a nanny. So I, I come from a position of, I'm very confident in my ability to love a child that's not mine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have that experience. Um, exactly. And, and I see the way that he talks to kids and, you know, the way he interacts with, with kids. And I don't have any worry about him being able to do that. So it was, it was a challenge for me to try and understand why he would be concerned about that mm-hmm. or, or why it is, you know, something that bothers him when, again, to me, I'm like, it just shouldn't. But I know that when you're dealing with a relationship, like that's not something you can say, that's not understanding. Well, and it it sounds as if maybe this is just part of his journey on how to get from where he was expecting to have his own biological children to where he may someday arrive just because he may not feel comfortable with the idea of of adoption at 25 years old 
doesn't mean that he may not eventually get comfortable with it at 28 or 30 or 38 or whatever. Um, for, to give him plenty of time and space to feel those feelings would probably be the best strategy in, in, in helping him blossom into that potential if it's there. Does that make yeah. sense? And I, that's been, that's been a lot easier for me to do since we've made that step to pursue fertility treatment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and at least, you know, determine what is the problem. Mm -hmm. yep. But um, before that, when, you know, when, when you haven't made any concrete steps towards like, all right, let's tackle this issue together, then you can be stuck in this space of there's all of these possibilities and the worst ones are, of course, the ones that come to mind. And just the it becomes very paralyzing because you don't want to take a step towards one of those terrible outcomes. But any step forward, you don't know where that's going to lead. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've got um, I've got to ask the question and, and also commend you, Sarah, and even your husband on the openness that I'm hearing from both of you guys as you've mm -hmm. gone through this, because, you know, you don't have to hear this to have it confirmed. Um, but, you, you know, there's no right way or easy way to do this when you're dealing with this kind of an issue and struggle. Um, yeah, it's, it's just the willingness and the courage to speak up, to uh, seek help, to research, to ask questions. That's what leads us down the path. Uh, not sure what path, what that path could be. And so one of the things I would, I would add is a willingness that it sounds like you guys have already done to some degree of, of seeing that his willingness to at least express his concern or fear of, I'm not sure I could love a child that I is not from me. That's not my own in a sense. Um, well done on at least being willing to admit that, uh, Authenticity. Cause, cause I think that's something that a lot of people actually struggle with and have a, have a worry of, and it's just a w interesting to see if we would then take the step to confirm it or not, because we don't have to be comfortable about the step we're going to take to take the step. We can, mm -hmm. we can still, yeah. know, we can still d delineate between, I see that this is something we, we need to do or we're choosing to do, even though I'm not completely comfortable and on board, I can still choose this. I can still do this and go down that path. And so it's, it's largely sounds like what you guys have done with the, uh, going to the fertility clinic of, it's one of those, some people don't, they have real struggle even reaching out for that to try to find answers because they're afraid of where that might lead. And you guys, yeah. you guys are doing that. And so that's, that's the path to, to at least exploring, here's my options. Then we can start to make choices. Yeah. Well, that, that point of, of communication is a, is a, is a hard fought uh, skill yeah. in our marriage. We, yeah. The, the first bet. probably year, year and a half of realizing that I process out loud and he prefers just to not process. <laughs> so, or, or that he processes right. internally and you don't get to have a ringside seat for it. Yes. Yes. If it does happen, then I, I don't necessarily get to hear about it. That, right. that I mean, I still struggle with that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I told him before, like one of the most difficult things for me to do is when he comes back from talking to his therapist once or twice a month not be like, so what'd you talk about? Right. 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 So Sarah, the main question I have for you is what have you learned about yourself through this journey of the past several years? 
What really stands out in your mind as something that you didn't necessarily know about yourself before, but that has come through this refiner's fire as something that's very valuable that you've learned about yourself? I think I, I think I've learned that generally the thing that scares me and the thing that I want to avoid doing the most is probably the thing I'm going to have to find the courage to do. Which is? I mean, just, just in general, like that's every, every step through, you know, this talking to my husband about how much it was bothering me, um, you know, making the decision to go to the fertility specialist, um, you know, sitting down with my husband and, and being like, I can see something is bothering you. You know, we need to talk about it. So you're uh, recognizing. Every time I'm. Go ahead. Oh, you know, just every time it's, it's something that I have to see, realize oh, you know, I'm actually avoiding doing this thing, but that's exactly what I need to do in order to make myself feel better about the situation. So you recognize it. Help resolve everything. So you recognize it. You have found the courage to cross those bridges and you're learning that you're stronger and you're a fighter, that, that you're taking this one step at a time, one day at a time. You're, you're, you're doing yes. your due diligence. Oh, I have learned very well how many, how there are very much different steps. So acknowledging, hey, that's the thing I'm scared of and deciding to do it are, are two completely different steps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But so, each wanna, one of them, you know, takes willpower. I want to shift it just slightly, if you don't mind, Sarah, because one of the things that you mentioned in, in your email was how, that sex is no longer enjoyable most of the time. It's just mechanical. So how do you, or how have you found, and maybe that's uh, why you reached out because you, you haven't <laughs> found ways to uh, get out of the mechanical side of it and actually have the bonding play side of it more. Yeah, that's, that's really kind of where I'm stuck and we haven't found, we've, we've um, you know, we have a lot of different um, ways of kind of like being more playful and livening things up. I mean, we're, we're, I'm very comfortable, like pretty much with anything, but, um, we, you know, bring a lot of different elements into, into the bedroom, bring, you know, some toys if necessary, or trying to, you know, be playful, but it's nothing seems to work anymore. Cause it's not just a matter of, you know, trying to get both of us interested at the same time. It's a matter of trying to forget that there's a very functional element to this and we're going to do it whether we like it or not. And okay. That doesn't really help to make it better. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's so how realistic do you think it is to try to forget versus uh, using the same strength you've talked about in the way you're uh, confronting it with him, um, bringing that even to bear in the midst of sex? And that might seem very, very paradoxical, but it's that idea of it's, it's bringing all of you, your concerns, your fears, your frustrations, uh, even to the act of sex. Because it's not, I mean, you, 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 sound, you, you sound as a woman that understands sex is not just a simple functional thing. There's a lot of depth and complexity to it. So how do you be... I guess I don't, I wouldn't know how to approach bringing those, um, I, I guess bringing those negative emotions into it. I wouldn't know how to, how to approach okay. that with my husband. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think of it in terms of I'm going to bring them to bear with him. I'm just going to, I'm going to act. 
I'm going to acknowledge them in the moment. Like, cause here's the one I think of is, so there could be a time where you guys have had a good day together, a good a date night or something. And there's, there's kind of, there's some peak of, you know, you're, you're into each other. You remember, you know, you're reminded of why you're together, why you love each other, why you turn each other on. Um, and then maybe sex is beginning or foreplay is beginning. And then that creeps into your head. I mean, you, you recognize that I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. So instead of, okay, what, what normally we will do as humans is we will try to, uh, power through it, act like it's not there. Um, something to that regard, he's privy to the journey you guys are on too. So what would happen if you just said, I need a moment, um, hold on. Um, I lost the connection, uh, something in that regard. And then just see how he responds to that. Because it's one of those where you then take the whole process of sex to a more authentic, deeper level because you are being more authentic and deeper. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can think of a lot of, of reasons why that scares me. And then I immediately thought, well, yes, but none of those are reasons not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Sarah. You're, you're learning to face <laughs> your fears, girlfriend, like never before. Yes. Corey, this, this conversation reminds me of the episodes that we've done about comfort sex and about how grief isn't an excuse to disconnect and stay disconnected okay. that sometimes it's in the in the depths of our deepest grief that we are actually are able to to connect in a way that we had never experienced before sarah what comes to my mind just the imagery i want you to envision playing in an ocean you know along the shoreline and how the tide it ebbs and it flows and both of it is exciting in different ways. When the tide is coming in and at you, there's all this energy and, and just water everywhere. And, and just, you know, I can just imagine kids giggling and frolicking and trying to run away from it type of a thing. But then when it rescinds and goes back out toward the ocean and leaves the sand bare, then that's kind of the most fun to, you know, dig it up and make a sand castle and all that kind of stuff. So I want you to just maybe consider allowing your grief to just ebb and flow because you know trying to stuff that I think that you've already realized is probably got you in a little bit more of a state of anxiety and gridlock than than there needs to be not being successful yet in three years of trying is no guarantee that you guys won't be successful next month or next year and so uh, you're not grieving the inability you're grieving the inability to yet so far and it's okay to grieve though get those mischances so far but just embrace that and let it be part of the relationship that makes your commitment to one another all the more deep and all the more rich and let your passion flow out of that out of the the both the pleasure and the pain that you've experienced together in your short history together so far does that bring any comfort whatsoever just to envision that it's it okay that there's grief there, but that it doesn't have to be a, a libido killer? Yeah, it's, I, 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 I'm, I'm a very upbeat person generally. I'm, I kind of, you sound say, like it. I probably identify with being a happy person and like making other people happy. So just the idea that, that to a degree kind of, I guess we have to learn how to be how to bond over sadness and mm -hmm. um well said that i i can i can both acknowledge that that's 
sounds like a very, very good thing and a very necessary thing and also terrifying and I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you also know that deep feeling inside of what other yeah. choice do I have? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, to stay in that place of fear and anxiety and gridlock is not something that you would wish on your worst enemy. So why would you do it to yourself? Yeah. Hold on to your hope, baby doll. There's every hope in the world that the next decade or more could produce not just one, but as many babies as you like. But it, it, it's okay that the grief overcomes you sometimes like that tidal wave. It, and it's okay to just feel that sadness. And our prayer for you is that you feel the joy of holding either your own child or your own child that you've adopted in your own arms uh, someday soon, but we just thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing with us the impact that infertility has on a couple's sex life so often. I know that you've given voice to a lot, a lot of couples today. Well, I appreciate you for talking with me. You bet. So, Sarah, there's one word that comes to my mind when I sit here and listen to your story, girl, and that is courage. Mm -hmm. Because that is something I hear interwoven through all of what you say and i have to commend that girl that well well done on the courageous steps you take and the courageous steps you guys will take and i have to i have to jump alongside what shannon was just saying that i completely and 100 percent agree that prayers are prayers are with you guys and um the steps you take are are what you should be doing i mean well done mm-hmm so, Sarah, thank you very much. Well, and once again, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. You betcha. You betcha. Keep us posted, girl. We're cheering you on. All right. Yes. I'll send you a picture. Awesome. <laughs> well, this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. Um, thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us. We'll mm -hmm. see you next we time. We love you for listening.